Welcome to Around the Table with Antunis, where we spark innovation and drive your success in the food service industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Around the Table, a food service podcast brought to you by Antunis. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm really looking forward to this deep dive today on connectivity and automation in food service. I think a part of the industry that we can point to as emblematic of all of the biggest changes and effects of technology in the food service industry is probably in quick service restaurants. I think a big part of that is because their brand and their mission is right in the definition of what kind of store they are. Quick serve restaurants, quick serve. Technology is bolstering that mission for quick and quality service through everything from kiosks to Bluetooth personalization to IoT. And automation is no exception for charting new paths for QSRs. So with today's conversation, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of these anecdotal and contextual examples of technology affecting QSRs, and we're going to use them to chart the history of automation in food service as we differentiate between methods and technology that are empowering automation, and then use all of that to loop back around and look forward as to how automation is going to impact not only QSRs, but the broader food service industry. So today, I'm pleased to welcome our two Antunis guests, Steve Geiger, Senior Vice President of Advanced Development and Automation, and Dan Hartline, President. Steve, Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are y'all doing today? Fantastic. Oh, doing great. Thanks. Pleasure again to sit down and chat with both of you. You know, something I like to do to start is um, get a little context about our guests and, uh, you know, put that to, to work, honestly, for the main topic of what we're breaking down here. So if you both could, could you give our audience a little background on your experiences working with automation in the food service industry and uh, contextualize for us uh, the path of how technology has evolved and improved to get us to where we're at today. And then we'll get into some of the nitty gritty. So uh, for history wise, um, I've been in automation uh, all of my career, actually, mostly in uh, other industries other than quick serve restaurants. And uh, this particular venture is uh, uh, new for me and very exciting. Uh, There's a lot of things that have happened throughout uh, automation throughout the world that uh, really are relevant and can add to uh, quality and uh, service in the quick serve restaurant. And so let me let me add a little uh, uh, food service context to, to Steve's answer, because um, what, what Antunas has done here is we've actually acquired a very successful Cartesian automation company that was called uh, AMS, Automated Manufacturing Solutions. Uh, and what we're doing is we're actually taking those automated manufacturing solutions and the experience that Steve and his team have had for the last, uh, dare I say, 35 years, Steve, um, and we're taking those into new markets, uh, per- particularly uh, food service and focus on uh, QSR. Um, the market is such that there's not an operator that I've met over the last five years who doesn't list his number one problem as getting and retaining and training labor. So they have a very, very hard time hiring people for the kitchen uh, and also being able to have a consistent workforce and a consistent uh, uh, quality product for their customers. So adding automation to the kitchen 
actually does several things. Uh, one, it brings us to a higher quality product. It works with the labor challenges that our market is, is facing. And, and this is really a global issue, not just a North American issue. And it also uh, allows us to have a very, very reliable and space uh, efficient solution for the customer because we're retrofitting into existing kitchen spaces. And as a result of that, we've got a very, very limited footprint to work with. Kitchen was designed around people. Now we're trying to design that same kitchen space around machines. So my background, I have an industrial background. Uh, I've worked mostly in industrial markets as Steve has. And what we're basically doing is taking the knowledge and experience gained in those markets and bringing that so those solutions to quick serve restaurants. Um, it's more of a configuration than a research problem, actually, because of the experience we, we collectively have here. Thanks for the context, y'all. Let's go ahead and dig into the main topic here, which is obviously automation in the quick service industry. So how widespread uh, has automated technology become in the industry? And do you all see it as a standard yet for the industry? Or is it still something that's seen as a differentiator for uh, operations that are implementing it? Yeah, I think we're uh, in the process of making it a differentiator for Antunas. Um, my take is it's not widespread yet, yeah. but it's it's definitely in process. So it's, it's, it's growing rapidly. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's uh, it's new to the space. Um, we are going to be showing some new concept products uh, and processes uh, at the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago in May of this year. Um, we're entertaining uh, customers uh, as we speak, basically around some of the uh, equipment that we've developed already for demonstration purposes to kind of help the industry see what's possible here. We felt we needed to get out in front. Uh, I think we're leading the way on uh, automated solutions for QSR, um, but there are no uh, significant commercial applications uh, using this technology yet. So uh, we're, we're early in the curve here. Why do you think the industry is still at a point where automation is something fresh and new for quick service operations? Is it just a limitation of the technology that it hasn't uh, you know, reached scalability until now? Is it a lack of education around the technology that's uh, already been there? Why do you think it's just picking up now? I think the, the challenge there is that the capital required um, is a little bit of a shift in the business model for the typical QSR operator. So today, you know, they're, they're paying for labor uh, to do the things, and the entire process has been set up around labor. It's not technology. In fact, a lot of the technology that we're using has been around and proven in industry for billions and billions of cycles. But it's more about the fact that now, instead of maybe my equipment package in a particular restaurant costing $100,000, maybe it cost me 200000 now, the ROI on that can often be less than six months, uh, so the payback period is very, very short, but it's still uh, not in the industry's DNA to think that way first. And then, as I said before, the other challenge is that um, a lot of QSR is run with a franchise system, and that franchise system has uh, the cash flow uh, ultimately is a small franchise partner. Some of these operations can be very, very substantial. 
Um, but typically it's a smaller business where that type of a capital investment in your kitchen is fairly significant. And, and frankly, they have a kitchen that works today as long as they can keep it staffed. So um, it's a matter of getting to the point with the labor problem where the solution becomes appealing enough in order to put the capital there to serve the customer. And I, and I think that's going to happen. I think we're already seeing that. Yeah, and there's an education process going on, too, where it's not just all about labor. I mean, there's food quality and food safety. There's there's speed. There's accuracy. There's just a, a lot of other uh, things a little bit harder to quantify that are starting to play into it. And I think they're just, most of the QSRs are just starting to feel what some of those opportunities are by some of the things that we're presenting. Yeah, and, and another another uh, key uh, trend here, too, is this movement towards uh, delivery uh, and um, uh, as opposed to eating in. Um, the surveys that you see time and time again show that the, uh, the younger generations, the millennials, uh, uh, do not eat at a restaurant. They are actually moving very, very quickly to delivery and eating at home. Think about things like the current topic of coronavirus, which is talked about a lot might even drive more of those trends more aggressively. That changes the footprint for the potential restaurant. And we have this thing happening, this trend called ghost kitchens, where the kitchen is actually uh, off property, not, not associated with the restaurant, but we're preparing food specifically for delivery. And that's a very quickly growing trend. Uh, and that combined with drive-through, combined with people not coming into the restaurant like they used to, uh, I think it will have a major impact here and will actually make it easier for these types of technologies to become a major part of their, uh, of their uh, food preparation. You mentioned a few different um, issues that automation would hopefully solve when it does become uh, more, you know, either accepted or uh, available at scale for uh, a lot of these franchise operations. What would you say are the main key challenges in, you know, whether it's workflow, efficiency, in quick quality service that QSRs are facing today uh, that require or at least, um, you know, present the option of a, a fundamental investment in something like automation. I think it's a, it's a, one the one challenge is the availability of the capital. Um, we spoke about that earlier, uh, um, but I also think there's a, another issue of getting the uh, purchasers comfortable that they can reliably operate this way. Um, we're taking, like I said, proven technologies that are run for billions and billions of cycles in industry and deploying it into quick serve restaurant kitchens. Um, you know, once we do that, there's not a lot of footprint left to do things the old way. So um, it's, it's really got to be a commitment on part of the operator, on part of the equipment support supplier and I'm part of the service network in order to keep that equipment up and running reliably and, and again the design standard using industrial design standards where these things run seven this equipment runs 724 365 days a year for three years between shutdowns um, that's really really critical to the operator here because once it's if the equipment's out they don't have room to do a lot of other things 
So we have to build that equipment to th those reliability standards that industry has, has come to expect so that we can be sure that we're providing uh, that reliable service. The challenge there is convincing an operator who's always been dependent on low-cost labor that this is an alternative business plan that he can trust. It's an alternative operation scheme, if you will. There's also a balance that has to happen that, that is a bit of a challenge with um, um, menu simplification, making the automation easier to accomplish, but flexibility in the automation uh, in order to handle the um, limited time offers that do come out in restaurants. And that's one of the things that we specialize in is in that uh, um, high mix, low volume world in the automation industry. And that's an interesting comment, Steve, because it also brings up another huge potential uh, return for the customer. Um, if the customer is able to consider at the same time supply chain changes as they consider automation of their processes, we can actually design the supply chain in order to enhance the returns of automation. A, a simple example of that is that if you took uh, a block of cheese that's uh, cheese that's going on a hamburger, um, today it comes in typically pre-sliced. And you know, if you've ever opened your refrigerator door and tried to get a piece of cheese out for a sandwich, sometimes you know I find myself saying, oh, "I'll eat the sandwich without the cheese," because uh, it's hard to get that cheese off. Um, so that's a big challenge, but but if you consider changing that simple supply chain and saying, hey, send the block of cheese to us and we will automate the cutting of that cheese in the restaurant, we've just, and applying it directly to a sandwich, we've just automated that process and we've had gains both in the supply chain and in the automation. So challenge uh, in, a, in, a, in a large chain, the challenge to consider that full benefit because changing their supply chain is almost... Uh, um, impossible for some very, very large chains to do, but the medium and smaller chains may be able to take advantage of that sooner and quicker, uh, leading to even a greater return. Well, you know, it's interesting you point to um, those solutions that are incredibly granular because uh, I feel like when a non-educated, uh, and by by non-educated, I mean like just not aware of the full gamut of automation solutions, right? So someone that is is unaware of um, the broad scope of how automation can be integrated both for small and large operations in QSR. I feel like uh, saying, ah, you should start by perfecting how you cut your cheese in the supply chain it might seem like what <laughs> why uh, or that you know this seems like you know why am i investing capital in such a small aspect of the supply chain we, we should be focusing on investing capital in in uh, you know other aspects of the actual um, food service experience or in you know helping more workers uh, pump out more sodas but that kind of granular change it's amazing like you say what kind of a ripple effect it can have when automation is introduced very early in the QSR supply chain or experience process and how you can see those returns all the way to the very end when, you know, the server is uh, packaging up the burger and handing it to the customer. Do you recommend that kind of granular approach to start? Is that something that has shown uh, the most, uh, I guess, 
radical change for QSRs or, you know, as people bring automation into their restaurants, do you recommend broader, more structural integration um, of automation? I like the granular, granular uh, direction. I mean, packaging is a perfect example. Uh, small changes to packaging can make them much easier to handle. And if you um, look in the in, in the back house and at a lot of the QSRs, the amount of time that's spent just picking packaging is it 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 all adds up. So yes, it's granular, but it it, it each of those things that you can eliminate for the the crew member frees them up in order to have a little bit more customer contact rather than back handling minute little things like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And and maybe another example to the to the cheese example or to kind of kind of uh, further uh, exemplify this in some of the research testing development that we've done. Um, if you take a, a vat of pickles and pickles tend to come in, uh, you know, sliced pickles tend to come in a, a solution. Um, they're not stacked. They're not organized. They're floating around in the pickle brine. Um, when you look at that and you say, okay, we've actually successful been able to fish for each of those pieces with automation and apply those to a sandwich, okay? But that's a really, really difficult thing to do. Now, if, if instead I bring in a solid pickle and, and I, uh, I, I handle that in such that I'm slicing it as I need the pieces, that becomes much, much simpler to do. So not only... Are we uh, are we saving uh, costs by doing it in the restaurant as opposed to doing it in the supply chain? We're making the packaging much simpler, and we're also getting a sustainability argument there because now we're not handling extra packaging that gets thrown away because we could just be loading uh, raw pickles into the machine and then from there slicing those. So there, there's places like that where how things operate around people um, with people doing the process might give you a substantially different answer than when you're handling it around the automation. And if it's automation and we have the gains associated with the labor savings, but we're also getting sustainability gains and supply chain gains, now you've got an ROI or a, a value proposition here that really gets difficult to ignore. So, Dan, Steve, um, are any of those challenges that you've broken down, I mean, obviously cutting cheese is unique to QSR, you're not going to see in industrial manufacturing quite as much, but um, are any of the, the broader supply chain challenges that could use automation as a solution, uh, are those challenges particularly unique to the QSR industry, or uh, are they challenges that... Um, industrial manufacturing or just, you know, industrial industries have felt for a while and have implemented automation as well. And now you're just seeing those transplanted and um, adjusted for an industry like food servicing and QSR. I think it's pretty much similar or all the same. I mean, the industries that I've worked in in the past include automotive and appliance and pharmaceutical and consumer electronics and um, I've always gone in a modular direction where you could use similar or the same modules for doing different applications in different industries and taking that modular approach and putting all of the same scenarios into the QSRs um, is the direction that we are going. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think, um, like I said earlier, um, 
there is some research here because um, we're doing things differently with the product than they might in an industrial plant, but in many ways we're doing things the same. So um, this industrial paradigm that the acquisition of um, AMS brought to Antunas um, is really a great one because it brings us proven track record of Cartesian design um, that uh, fits in this space really well. So when we when we look at that and we say, okay, so so what what did we bring? Well, you know, if if you look at it, if you go into a Nestle plant today or pick your major food manufacturer, not to pick on Nestle, um, those processes are highly automated. They build thousands of frozen pizzas an hour, and they do it with machines, not people. Okay, so uh, you know it's it's that technology that we're taking and redeploying. There's one real important clarification here too that that I that I want to make sure we cover. And I, I talked a little bit about Cartesian versus uh, robotic automation. I've said Cartesian several times. Cartesian automation is working in three coordinates: x, y, and z. Um, robotic automation actually is an arm that works on a sphere. Okay, well, that's what I mean anyway. How I use the term robotic automation. Um, and in industrial settings, you have quite a bit of the robotic arm type automation going on because they have all the space they need to let that robotic arm move in a 360 degree sphere. However, when we're fixed for space and position and, and real estate in an existing kitchen, Moving in X, Y, and Z allows us to build the motion so that it's limited to those three coordinates. Limited to those three coordinates means it's very easy for us to make it safe because we have to coexist with, with existing people. The kitchen is never going to be empty of people. Um, so what we need to do is to be safe, coexist, and maximum use of space. And if you think about uh, back in the days when we had Etch-a-Sketches and they were moving in two motions, if you were really good with that Etch-a-Sketch, you could draw a circle. And so the idea is in Cartesian automation, we control the space, we limit the envelope that we're operating in so it's safe and very easy to make safe, but we still have the maximum flexibility with those three dimensions to do any shape or any motion that we actually need to. Well, that's so, a neat analogy, Dan. I, I think we're dating yeah. ourselves, but hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, no, I, I, I definitely indulged in some etch a sketch. Uh, so don't worry, <laughs> you're not dating yourself too hard. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I could have, I could have said something about a joystick in a circle too. I guess, but yeah, um, right, right. But, 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 but the rea the reality is, you know, that's a tremendous advantage. And if you think about that robotic arm, which we're staying away from and don't believe in, um, that robotic arm can move anywhere in that 360 degree sphere. If you get a software glitch and somebody's standing behind it, the outcome of that can be disastrous. And so we really believe in the Cartesian approach with the fixed axis of motions and the X, Y, and Z coordinates and making sure that we're able to protect that and then coexist with the people that remain in the kitchen. So that's a, that's a real critical part of what we're doing. And, and that has really been the the 30 years of experience of AMS has been around that type of design. Um, the other thing that I think is, is noteworthy as well is design standards. So there are a lot of people today that can design an automated process, that can control motion. 
However, when you apply the design standards of a 365-day automotive plant into a QSR restaurant, you get reliability that is, that is unshakable. And so we also believe that the industrial standards, which frankly exceed some of the things that we've done as a food equipment manufacturer, Okay, well, they exceed many things that we've done as a food equipment manufacturer because the robust nature of the equipment, even though we're probably heavier than the average food equipment supplier, AMS and the partnership between AMS and Antunas, now that it's an Antunas-owned company, those design standards take us to a reliability level that the industry isn't used to. And so when we design something for automation, it's heavy, it's rock solid, and you can count on it. Um, not sure that's true for everybody that's playing around with automation today. So there's a lot of people doing motion, but they haven't done motion with Ford Motor Company breathing down their neck. Right. So, exactly. Right. So that's a different game. And yeah. so that's kind of what we've done is we've married those two, uh, the knowledge, the expertise, the industrial standards into QSR. That leads to reliable automation, not just something that's cute and sexy and looks great on the test bench. But we're actually building systems here that'll work for the long haul. So I I want to lean into something you said just a few minutes ago. But you you said that uh, it's necessary not to indulge um, you know the fancy robotic arms and instead do Cartesian automation um, because of the fact that labor is still uh, you know an integral part of the kitchen. Uh, I want to get into that dynamic between labor and automation because I think that's always at the forefront of these automation conversations. How is the workforce going to be impacted um, either negatively or positively by um, some of these shifts? So um, I I know the QSR industry struggles with labor issues in general. One of the biggest ones is retention. Uh, It costs a lot of money to train employees And because, um, you know, just as a whole, um, pay in QSRs isn't the highest, uh, it can lead to a lot of turnover and then you are spending money on retraining people. I know some, um, chains like Taco Bell, for example, are trying to, uh, adjust that by, um, paying, you know, some of their management, something like six figures a year, which, you know, I I thought was, um, a, a pretty incredible jump and something that I think shows changes in labor dynamics across the board. That's for another conversation, but just wanted to to shout that one out. But it's Um, it's related. Yes, definitely. So, you know, if retention is one of the big issues and, uh, you know, finding employees to stay, not so much just even getting employees in the door, but just finding ones that will stay, if that's the issue, how do you see automation playing into that retention dynamic? Is automation phasing out QSR workers uh, to address that retention issue? Or is it uh, coming to support them to keep them uh, at these jobs to, you know, I guess, address retention in that way? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, there are certainly, you know, simple, mundane, repeatable processes are the easiest to um, to automate. And, you know, so there is definitely a element there where if I automate uh, enough of those, I can start to reduce the dependency on labor in the kitchen. But what changes in that dynamic? Um, so, 
you know, we'll talk a little bit maybe about the service network. So, um, you know, there is a, a vast network in uh, in the United States and around the world of um, ASAs or approved service associates that maintain this equipment because most of there's some ex- exceptions to this, but most of the restaurants don't do that themselves. And so um, I believe that everything kind of moves up a level in its sophistication. So if I automate the uh, the mundane and I'm able to replace that labor, I'm actually creating a higher order service uh, job uh, for somebody that needs to be able to uh, come in and service this equipment when it needs uh, some service and have the ability to troubleshoot a higher tech piece of equipment than than what they may do today. Um, you know, there are industrial service networks that, that, that do that already, um, but in QSR, um, that's probably another step um, that has to be addressed as we transform into an automated space. So I may be reducing some of the mundane in the restaurant that makes life easier on the operator, but I'm creating higher level jobs in the industry uh, in order to take care of that equipment. So uh, that, that's why I say maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, well, something that, that we've seen, too, is you get into almost all of the, the QSRs, they're understaffed. They're, they're running. I mean, I can, I've been in the, a few of the back kitchens, and it, it's, it's like, wow, these people are just running and running and running all day trying to keep up. You know, we were, we were at one the other day where they said, well, we've got 80 and staff, and we really need 20 to 30 more, and we just can't find them. So consequently, those 80 people are doing the job of, you know, 120. Um, so it, it kind of makes the, the work-life balance hopefully a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Steve. I think the quality of the job will go up. Um, I, I remember uh, uh, an operator telling me once, um, and again, I came from outside the industry. I've been in it now for four and a half years, but uh, with an industrial background, uh, I ask a lot of questions when I met operators just to learn and I ask one, um, you know, do, do you do your preventative maintenance on the equipment in your kitchen? And he said, to do the preventative maintenance on the equipment in my kitchen, I would need a total of 20 additional people. If I took everything that's in my O&M manual from all the manufacturers that I buy equipment from, I'd need 20 additional people to do that. And so it just doesn't get done. And then, then they're dealing with, uh, you know, they're fighting fires, not literally, but figuratively. They're fighting they're fighting fires uh, in order to uh, to keep the thing up and running, where if that labor could be um, kind of redirected uh, away from those uh, automated places and into the places where that care and uh, maintenance of the equipment needs to be done more often, they'd have less of those problems to do as well. I also wanted to share with you, I, I did have a meeting with a one of the large uh, non-commercial players in the market, well, they're called contract feeders, um, who basically said, if you can do anything in automation, what I'd like you to do is automate my dish room, okay? Um, he said, you know, getting people to load dishwashers and work in that area is the lowest job that we have. Nobody wants to do it. It's impossible to retain people. So maybe we improve the quality of the work environment in that kitchen space by automating that piece. We're not a dishwasher supplier, but we are an automation company and who understands uh, food handling and restaurants and food safety and all the challenges associated with that space. So we could certainly bring our automation skill to work 
getting involved in a dishwasher, even though we're not a dishwasher manufacturer. So, um, you know, and there's a potential that we'll be working on that project with them. There's also a food safety aspect that can play into it when there's not enough time in order to maintain or clean or do the follow the procedures that need to be followed. I mean, some of the things we're looking at automation-wise um, is, is a clean-in-place solution for a variety of situations. So uh, the machine basically cleans itself, and it, it takes care of all of the that end of things that needs to be done on a proper timely basis. Yeah, the the other add to that, and I know it's uh, it's it's timely, but you know uh, we had the conversation just today at lunch. Um, would you rather a person build your sandwich or a machine? Um, you know, philosophically, uh, prior to coronavirus, people might have picked the person. Uh, that may be changing, actually. You know, if I know uh, uh, food has been prepared for me without uh, human intervention or human contact. Is that an example? I don't think it historically has been, but perhaps it's going to be. It's an interesting dynamic to think about as well. So if the reality is going to look something like uh, you know, jobs transitioning and becoming um, maybe a, a little more technical, managing new machines, but at the same time improving the quality of those jobs, um, are companies providing this automation. So, I mean, it could be Antunis, could be, uh, you know, we can talk about the industry as a whole, but um, our company is providing this automation in a holistic way with services that can also train and maybe upskill those QSR workers. Are you seeing uh, the QSRs take any initiatives to train and upskill those workers? Because I, though the reality is that the jobs improve, um, if the current workforce, you know, isn't trained to adapt and the mentality is instead, okay, well, we're just going to phase these people out and hire new people, you know, then that could be seen as a net negative uh, from within the industry, you know, if the entire workforce is just being replaced, right? So uh, what is the education initiative behind uh, getting the workforce adapted and comfortable to, you know, um, I guess, enjoy the fruits of potentially having their job be more manageable and uh, create a uh, a less stressful workplace. Daniel, that's an excellent question. That's the one that uh, a lot of people haven't brought up. And I think it's something that the industry is going to need moving forward. So. Yeah. And, and I would say there's a whole bunch of other issues that, that, that kind of come out, come with that. Um, so um, we now, we start to take a piece of equipment that, that maybe has some software in it to a piece of equipment that has potentially hundreds of thousands of lines of code. Um, and, you know, so you get into questions about um, uh, remote access. Can we remote into the equipment? Um, technology allows us to spread expertise exponentially throughout uh, a, uh, an install base. So um, video today, uh, with uh, service-oriented software that's been developed around the industrial market. There's actually a, a, you know, a couple of versions of this, but there's glasses that are video glasses that the service person is connected directly to the expert. So even though that particular person may not have the high-level expertise to service this automated piece of equipment, they have access to the expert very, very quickly through a pair of video glasses that does have that expertise. And therefore, um, we can actually deploy, train, service 
all kind of in the same motion. The other thing we've done at Antunis is we've built a video studio, which um, is predominantly used for service training. And that studio has the ability to run the equipment that we've built and allows us to remotely train people on the higher tech things that we're doing. And so with our ASA partners, and we're very blessed with some awesome ASA partners, with our ASA partners, um, we actually provide that service as part of our relationship, that training service. So um, we could uh, easily utilize uh, video training and expand that expertise and knowledge uh, out to what's already a pretty good skilled uh, workforce to do that. Um, the operating side in the kitchen actually gets simpler, not more complicated, but yet um, you're now having people work with a human machine interface, uh, HMI in the industrial world, and we need to be able to train people how to operate that. And I could uh, I could envision us using a lot of video to do that too. You know, the point is uh, the, the commercial installations of these things haven't happened yet. We're a little ahead of the curve. Um, but we believe they're not far away. And so we'll be actually using technology to enhance the use of technology. So video training, et cetera. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I think that piece of this evolution um, is incredibly important. And, you know, it's um, it's good to know that companies like Antunis are keeping that in mind um, because, you know, I, I think it can it can become an afterthought if not um, – if not focused on from the very beginning, you know, how is this actually going to impact the material lives of the workforce that might be using this technology? And yes, you know, it can be viewed from the perspective of, well, it's going to improve, uh, you know, work and, and make day to day more palatable and, um, you know, more more rewarding. Right. Yeah. Um, that perspective, I think, is probably included in most of these conversations. But the conversation of, okay, well, how do we get them to the point where they do feel that way about their work or they can get the most out of uh, this technology without tossing the entire workforce to the side, I think is 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 incredibly important. And so it's, you know, it, it's great to see that y'all are um, are taking that uh, to heart and uh, making that part of your mission to grow. Um, we're almost out of time here. So just to wrap up, um, how are y'all making the argument to owners and operators as well as, you know, to um, the workforce if you interact with um, with anyone in the workforce in QSR uh, that this technology is going to be a, a net benefit? You know, what is the what is the the sales pitch, I guess, for lack of a better way to phrase it? Um, and, and how do you try to, um, I guess, get the word out on automation being a key part of QSR's growth and scalability? Well, to, you know, to, to start with, the first thing we're doing is we're actually building demonstration equipment to help with the visionary process of what's possible, okay? Um, one, of, one, of the, uh, one of the challenges we have is the people who are very, very good and effective at running the operation, their, their QSR today, the way they do, um, may not have been exposed to some of these ideas. And so we're actually building sample equipment that we have running in our innovation center, which is in Crystal Lake, Illinois, also in our uh, main factory in the U.S. in uh, um, Carroll Stream, Illinois. Uh, and we have equipment that we're building specifically as demonstration uh, equipment for the National Restaurant Association show. 
Um, we will use that equipment in order to, and, and we'll do some video and podcasts like this and things like that that will help educate and inform an industry of what's possible that may simply not be thinking in this way because they haven't needed to. You know, they haven't had the opportunity to. So, so we're actually um, working to be the company that creates that knowledge base and then informs and educates the industry that this is maybe a good way to go. And like I said, I think we're ahead of the market. Everybody's playing around with a little bit of this here and there, but I don't think anybody has made the investment that Antunas has in making sure that we're leading in this space and we're the, uh, when people think of kitchen automation, they think of Antunas first. All right, then I think that does it for our conversation today. I want to thank you both for joining me on Around the Table and giving us your really detailed insights on uh, really the, just this broad uh, adaptation that we're seeing in the QSR industry as finally automation becomes more accessible, more scalable, and the capital investment starts to demystify a little bit. Uh, I think the education component, I think the outreach component, and the actual integration, you know, what does it look like to actually take this gear, build it out, and apply it to our day-to-day? If I'm a QSR owner and operator, I think those aspects of it um, are the ones that are going to take the most work moving forward. And it seems like Antunis is on top of the ball already, which is exciting. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how automation in QSR uh, takes the industry to the next level, hopefully, and um, you know where we continue to see innovation. So again, we've been chatting with Steve Geiger, Senior Vice President of Advanced Development and Automation, and Dan Hartline, President of Antunas. Steve, Dan, thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast. And if people want to find out a little bit more about your automation services, where should they go? Uh, I would suggest that uh, they start at www.antunas.com, which is our website, and uh, reach out to any individual. We'd be glad to get our experts involved and have a particular uh, conversation with that. Um, my email address is dan.hartline, H-A-R-T-L-E-I-N, at antunas.com. And Steve, yours is? My mind's steven.gager, G-A-U-G-E-R, at antunas.com. All right, Steve, Dan, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Daniel, Daniel, thanks. Have a great day. Bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Around the Table, an Antunas podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to www.antunas.com. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.